<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Ancient Beauty Wang Jun's Shifting Significance by Alex Colville Published in Subchina Read for you by Alex Colville Imagine a young woman bedecked in elaborate headdress and densely embroidered finery, travelling through the desert, perhaps the Gobi, or maybe the Taklamakan, under a boiling sun, a long-necked pipa, or lute, cradled in her arms. Tang Dynasty poet Bai Ju Yi imagined the harsh environment ravaging the delicate beauty of this Han lady far from the big city. Full in her face, barbarian sands, wind full in her hair. Gone from eyebrows, the last traces of coal. Gone the rouge from her cheeks. Hardship and grieving have wasted it away. Now indeed it is the face in the painting. Wang Jun had been shipped off as a peace bride, rejected by the emperor because he thought her portrait was unflattering. But her painter had been devious, and the emperor had been tricked. Wang Jun was in fact the fairest in his seraglio. A tragedy indeed for such a beauty to be wasted in the tough world of yaks and yurts beyond the Great Wall, appreciated by none but barbarian horsemen. Jin Dynasty poet Shi Chong imagined her seeing the irony. Long ago I was a jewel stored in a box, now a blossom stuck in the muck and mire. Initially just a mere pawn in the power plays between the Xiongnu and the Han Dynasty, then a celebrated damsel in distress in Imperial China, but by the 20th century Wang would turn into something else altogether, a powerful voice of female agency but also a convenient symbol for cultural unity. Who is Wang Jiaojun? A legend known by everyone in China, written about by every poet worth the name, including Li Bai and Du Fu. A desert flower, hailed as one of the four beauties of ancient China. But in contrast to Yang Guifei, who served an emperor who, according to legend, neglected her, to the point of being given away as part of a peace marriage to a chief of the fragmenting Xiongnu in modern-day Mongolia. The earliest record of her is little to go on. The dusty annals of the Han Shu, written less than a century after her time, tell us that in 33 BC, a certain Wang Jiaojun, a lady-in-waiting in the palace of the Emperor Yuan in the Western Han Dynasty, was sent away to be married to Hohanye, a Chanyu, or Khan, of the Xiongnu. She wasn't royal, just a girl from a family of blameless reputation. When Hohanye died three years later, she was then remarried to the dead Khan's eldest son, as was traditional with the Xiongnu. We don't know what she made of this decidedly unconfucian marital custom, but the less reliable Hohan Shu 
says she requested permission to return to the Han capital, but was refused. In total, she had three children, one of whom, Princess Yun, became an influential lady-in-waiting at the Han court, in cahoots with the troublemaking Wang Mang. When Wang Mang, a minister who usurped the throne, tried to split the Xiongnu, Yun's sons served as tribute-bearers between Xiongnu and Han. She had taken part in the well-trodden route of He Qin, peace marriages, long practiced by the Han dynasty by marrying women of the royal family into the houses of neighbouring kingdoms. The Xiongnu were always skulking on the northern borders, probing for weakness, but ultimately in their death throes, losing in a war that had been fought on and off for a century. In Wang's time, the Xiongnu had fallen apart into infighting clans, and Huhanye hoped he could make an ally with his old enemy to the south by becoming a vassal king. He visited the Han court three times over the course of 18 years, the final time asking to be bonded in kinship with the Han. That the emperor offered him a non-royal bride is intriguing. By the time of the Eastern Han, Two songs had been written about Wang, adorning her story with extra details that gave her a sense of humanity. The Xi Jing Zaji, miscellaneous records of the former Han, a collection of semi-fictional short stories from the Eastern Han about the former Western Han, said she'd been neglected at court, a great beauty who'd never seen the emperor, as she'd virtuously refused to pay the slimy painter Mao Yan Shou to paint her pretty as all the other women at court had done. He painted her plainly, so the emperor was unaware of the great beauty hidden away in a distant palace courtyard. As to what happened after the Xiongnu chief asked for a bride, versions differ. According to the Qin Cao, tunes for the Qin, Wang volunteered herself out of frustration at her boring life. But the more famous tale comes from the Xi Jing Zaji, which says the emperor picked the plainest of his harem, only realizing his mistake when Wang arrived in his presence for the first time. The chief, clearly a red-blooded man, was supposedly delighted with his bride-to-be, and the emperor, no doubt grinding his teeth, had no choice but to give his blessing. The painter was executed once Huanya was safely on the road. By the time of the Jin Dynasty poet Shi Chong, the pipa had been added to Wang Jiaojun's story, played by attendants on her journey to prevent her from becoming homesick. Nowadays, Wang's pipa is as essential to her image as the bow and arrow is to Robin Hood's. Legend started making her play it herself, a fragment of home in the wasteland and a way to communicate her feelings to a people she couldn't understand. The tragic struggles of a great lady inspired literati poets. Some, like Bai Ju Yi, saw her as on a noble peace mission, sacrificing comfort and friends for the peace of the kingdom. She laments her fate in the Wang Jiao Jun Bian Wen of the Tang Dynasty, found in the 20th century in a cave in Dunhuang. The fragrance of my clothes through the long trip is blown away, and my red slippers after the arduous journey, are worn clear through. My head aches. How I hate yak milk and sheep smell. Female Qing poet Guo Shu Yu admired her peacekeeping powers, 
how one woman was more effective than an army, better by far than sending forth troops by the thousand to guard the frontier. But others thought she was lucky to have escaped the Han court. Song Dynasty poet and unorthodox minister Wang Anshu scandalously imagined her playing her pipa and sipping wine while turning the heads of passing tribesmen. Han's favour is shallow and the barbarians deep. The joy of life is to be with your heart to heart intimate. What difference did civilization or barbarism make, provided you were happy? It undermined Confucian ideals of duty and virtue. Song scholar Luo Dajing said Wang's lines were a violation of reason and a blow to morality, encouraging ministers to betray emperors and wives their husbands. She also had a place in popular myth outside of the scholar's ivory tower. A song play by Ma Jiyuan had her discovered by the emperor in his palace, enticed by her pipa's sweet tones. But she's married off by force to the evil Xiongnu chief, who threatens invasion unless he is given Wang. A rise in surviving female poetry by the time of the Ming allows for a more feminine take on Wang's hard luck. Huang Yaozao imagined her grumbling, Had I known a painting would wrong this body, I'd have settled for marriage to a commoner from Shamanka Mountain. Fellow Ming poet Xu De Yin relished that, in the end, it was wives who made peace with the Western tribes. Still Serving By the 20th century, Wang Jiaojun's potential as a force for female empowerment had gone mainstream. A young Hu Shi in 1908 wrote an essay arguing she was a patriotic heroine. Guo Mo Ruo's 1923 opera Wang Jiaojun has her roasting the emperor in a way that would have made Confucius foam at the mouth. You have the power to make people live and die. Today, not desiring me, you send me to the desert. Tomorrow, desiring me, you use me for your lust and send the women you do not desire to the desert. You know that those sent to the desert suffer. But do you know that they also suffer who are used by you? What makes you so different that you alone can harass and threaten thousands? You are ugly. You should know that you are ugly. Wolves are not as ugly as you. The palace you live in smells bloodier than a wolf's den. Today, she's recruited by the state as an agent for national unity. In the 1950s, the PRC policy was to encourage ethnic mixing, but Hun women didn't want to marry men from far-flung and foreign Inner Mongolia. In 1960, Zhou Enlai commissioned the celebrated playwright Cao Yu to write on this theme, telling him the story must encourage Chinese women to marry national minorities. When it was finally performed in 1979, Cao somehow surviving the Cultural Revolution, Wang slid easily into Mongol life and culture, leading women into battle to defend her husband. The two were a loving couple filled with mutual admiration for each other, symbolic of Huanye's insistence that the Huns and the Huns are one family forever for generation after generation. This is still the state's line on her. The Jiaojun Culture Festival has happened every Golden Week since 1999, with China Daily seeing her as a symbol of harmony among China's ethnic groups. 
2020's offering of promoting national unity in her name included a mass marriage in the grasslands, Mongolian food and ethnic costume, and a lot of Mandarin. But Cao's play and state propaganda emphasise a story of Wang bravely volunteering to go on a peace mission, promoting good relations between the Han and the Xiongnu. That means downplaying Wang's traditional story of suffering, still mainstream today, and its tragic ending. The Qin Cao has her take poison rather than marry her own biological son. The Wang Jiaojun Bianwen has her waste away with grief at being married off to this desolate place. But she'll be forever preserved for posterity. According to legend, she's buried in a tomb near Hohart, upon which the Qin Cao says the grass grew forever green, standing out for miles against the dry white grass of the plains. <laughs>